some words from Psalm 72. Teach the king to judge with your righteousness, O God. Share with him your own justice, so that he will rule over your people with justice and govern the oppressed with righteousness. His kingdom will reach from sea to sea, from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. He rescues the poor who call on him and those who are needy and neglected. He has pity on the weak and poor. He saves the lives of those in need. He rescues them from oppression and violence. Their lives are precious to him. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He alone does wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole world. Amen. Amen. So let's come to God in prayer. We pray together. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We love to sing these ancient words set to beautiful music. We love to sing of the mysterious signs and symbols that the prophets described and how we long for it to be true. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We long so much for a God who understands our world from a grassroots viewpoint. We long so much for a God whose hands are dirtied by sharing in our lives. And we long for a God who is one with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We sing, we shout, we whisper. Come, God who is with us. We yearn, we ache, we wait. Come, God who is with us. And we journey on through Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel, come to our hearts and our homes. Come to our minds and our imaginations. And come soon. Emmanuel, God with us. Baby growing in Mary's womb. Eternal Christ, hope for all creation. Receive our praises and attend to our prayers. Amen. These Advent candles remind us of the four directions. North, south, east and west. In each direction, God's people are seeking the promised Messiah. In each direction, we discover God's blessings. On this second Sunday of Advent, we look to the south. We look to the south and think of deserts that wait for rain and wilderness places that have little to sustain life. In those barren places, hope is alive with the beauty of a single blossom, a moment of peace. In the south, God promises the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom abundantly. We shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. The prophet says to the people, 
Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. As we light our second Advent candle, we look to the south. We offer thanks to God for the gift of the people, barren places, and pray for the coming of the hope and beauty of Christ. Amen. The first reading this morning is from Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 10. Isaiah 11, 1 to 10. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The second reading is Romans 15. Verses 4 to 13. Romans 15, 4 to 13. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with the Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome not one another. Therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, 
with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Those of you who were here last week will remember that we were exploring a very familiar expression from the Bible, walk in the light. And we used quite a lot of different pictures to help us begin to think about what that ancient metaphor might mean for the life of faith and discipleship. Whether that was strictly a sermon or not, I don't know. It's almost certainly fair to say that what I'm going to offer today is not a sermon. More, it's an experimental reflection that is going to use some poetry, some video clips, and even the front of a greeting card. But I hope that through that we will be able to engage in fresh ways with old ideas. Maybe it's good for us now and again just to be a little bit more childlike in our approach learning through play, or at least through playfulness, as we explore today's theme. And a child shall lead them. A couple of weeks ago, I went down to Manchester to an event called BMS Catalyst Live, at which a lot of different theologians, artists, musicians, and a poet were giving sessions. Some of them talked... Some of them played, some of them read. Lucy Berry is an ordained minister within the United Reformed Church in England. She happened to train in Manchester a few years after me. Um, But she's also very well known from her time as the poet in residence on the Jeremy Vine show on Radio 2, if any of you listen to that. And the poem I'm going to read is one that she read at that conference Um, She followed on from a black speaker, the racial justice um, guy from the Baptist Union of Great Britain, who was talking about Sam Sharp and events in Jamaica. And this prompted her to abandon what she'd planned and to read this poem. The lion lay down with the lamb. And the lion lay down with the lamb. And the lamb forgave the lion for being a lion. And the lion forgave the lamb for being a lamb. The Greek made friends with the Turk. And the Indians went round to the people from Pakistan and played cricket in their garden. And the West said, we are sorry. And the East said, beg your pardon. And the young man who murdered Stephen Lawrence knocked at his mother's door and said, yes, We killed your son. We didn't know him, but we killed him. Yes, it is true. We hated you. The lion lay down with the lamb. On Kristallnacht, the Germans got on their knees and said to the Jews, Yes, it happened. We did it, all of it. 
forgive us. In Rwanda and Chechnya, they heard the news round the world in every nation that it was reconciliation. It is true. We did it. We hated you. And the Arabs and the Jews said, the Christians and the Muslims said, the black people and the white people said, that is enough now. I want to find out who you are. And the people from all the islands of the Caribbean cooked curried goat, and the French cooked snails and frogs' legs, and the Chinese cooked something delicious but completely unidentifiable. And everybody tried a little bit of everything and found it was much nicer than they were expecting. The Japanese joined with the African dancing. The Africans had a stab at Cossack dancing. The Russians tried to master line dancing. The Americans were a great success at Morris dancing. The Welsh brought their harps to the party and everyone asked them to play. And the English went round quietly, offering everyone a really nice cup of tea. You've never heard such a noisy, peaceful time in all your life. And best of all, the children ran together, pink and brown, straight and curly, in a huge, loud, happy, swirling muddle, yelling, Yes, we did it! And we're sorry! And the lion lay down with the lamb. Perhaps given the death of Nelson Mandela, that is also an appropriate poem to share today. The image that Isaiah describes to us is perhaps so familiar that we're in danger of dismissing it as some kind of utopian dream rather than a radical vision of a restored and reconciled creation. The lion lies down with the lamb, each reconciled with the other. Predator and prey find new understanding and discover they can live alongside one another. Since both lion and lamb are images ascribed to Jesus, this shouldn't surprise us. How can he simultaneously be both unless such reconciliation is not just possible but is actually achieved? I think what Lucy Berry does so skillfully is to recognize that reconciliation isn't one-sided. It's not simply the case that lambs are good and lions are bad. Rather, each one has to recognize their part in the distortion of God's wonderful, diverse, and beautiful creation. It's not always so easy to say that's good and that's bad in some kind of binary or dualistic way. Rather, through the whole of creation and through all people, each in some measure is present. Reconciliation needs each person and each party to recognise who they are and how that has or has the potential to distort divine intent. 
her exploration of the eschatological banquet as a world buffet in which each nation brings the finest of its cuisine is as delightful as it is playful. I think the Scots might bring haggis or a clouty dumpling or some empire biscuits. Diversity doesn't give way to dull uniformity. Rather, each people group adds more colour, more texture, more flavour and more richness to what is already good. But it's the ending of her poem that kind of connects mostly with the idea we're invited to explore today. Children playing together, free from the fear of rejection, racial intolerance or abuse of any kind. It is the children in their reconciled diversity who symbolise and lead the new creation in which the lion lies down with the lamb. And the adults watching the children at play may just begin to find their lips twitching upwards into a smile. Or maybe, just maybe, to laughter. I don't know what picture the Isaiah reading makes appear in your head. But when I was a child, I used to have a picture of a golden-headed child. That's very Anglo-Saxon, isn't it? Well, there you go. Walking along a green sward with a lot of dog leads. And all these animals were being taken for a walk by this child. The lion will lie down with a lamb and a little child will lead them. So here we have, in my head... Um, a small curly-headed Anglo-Saxon child with these on their um, leads like a pair of puppies. Now, I'm not sure that's what the prophet would have imagined, not even with an olive-skinned, dark-haired child. This literal image is not probably what it's about. A little child will lead them. I was pondering that this week, and a television advert came into my mind from a few years ago. Some of you may recognise this picture. Some of you won't. Hopefully the technology is going to work. But I have to do things because I'm not quite clever enough to get it to work automatically. Oh, trees. Good morning. At India, I love the environment. Especially trees. With no trees, birds are no working. No. Whoops. No tree over there. I probably should say other brands of toilet tissue are available. A child shall lead them. A toddler as the managing director of a major company, that's just preposterous, isn't it? Or is it? Is there something about the nature of a child that speaks into our jaded, sceptical, heard-it-all-before adult word with vitality, creativity, hope and joy? I have a feeling that there is. Just as the child MD simply says that big, beautiful trees will be planted 
to give the, wor- the birds somewhere to land and make more of this lovely soft toilet tissue. So in real life, children have an innate belief that it's possible for the world to be made a better place. Whether it's environmental issues, which is um, suggested here, justice issues, fair trade, the plight of bees, various different things. Children, on the whole, grasp the ideas very quickly. They want to make a difference, and they believe that a difference can be made. And I think, as a result, often inspire and challenge adults in the process. So the lion and the lamb are reconciled, and the leadership of the new kingdom is entrusted not to grizzled, careworn, if wise, adults, but to a child, or certainly to one in whom the best of childlike qualities has not been eroded. I wonder if we were to talk to children about how they understand leadership, what they might have to say. I found a video clip on the web from America, which I'm going to share with you. The picture quality is not the greatest, but I think it's worth having a listen. Be patient. If somebody makes a mistake, 
and it's like, oh, all right, that's just one mistake. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Just go on. You can do it. If they have really good behavior, we used to give them a raised salary or something like that. You need to keep it very good so that it'll be all very easy. I think when people help other people, I think they get a, like a little good feeling inside. And I don't know what that's called, but it's just something that lifts you. I don't know about you, but I found a lot of encouragement um, from listening to that. And a lot of wisdom, you know, the recognition that you've got to kind of hold together as a leader things that maybe don't obviously seem to go together. And I just love that little girl at the end when she says, I don't know what it's called, but it makes you feel good inside. There is something about children that they kind of recognise. They don't have all the words and don't have all the answers, but uh, they'll give it a go anyway. I'm sure if we asked our children, we'd also get some really fascinating responses to those questions so so far it's so good really isn't it we've got cute toddlers running companies with good environmental credentials and we've got primary school children outlining the characteristics that make a good leader but of course we know it's not quite as simple as that we're not yet living in the eschatological kingdom we're in this now and not yet time in which we catch glimpses of what it might be like but we're all too aware of the frailty and finitude of our human selves. And we also have to have a little bit of a reality check. I was in the supermarket the other day and a toddler threw a tantrum because their attempts to communicate failed or their demands weren't met and they had nothing else to do to express their frustration but scream and shout. It happens. Small boys sort out their playground disagreements with fisticuffs, whilst the little girls will give the silent treatment to those with whom they fall out. Maybe it's sometimes the other way round, but I think some of those gender stereotypes have some validity to them. Children are still learning and still developing. They're not able yet, however much they would like to, to take charge and fix the world. And yet they have vital characteristics and vital insights that we do well to listen to and not lose. Perhaps what we have to remind ourselves is there is a difference between characteristics that a child like and life-affirming and those which are childish and life-demeaning. And then, of course, there are people like the Apostle Paul, who in his well-known and well-loved hymn on the topic of love, speaks about the inevitability and necessity of growing up. He says that being an adult requires putting away childish things and the acceptance of a life of maturity. And I think what he says actually is true, because there are childish, even infantile forms of Christianity that are just not going to survive the rigors of real life. We actually have to grow and develop our understanding if we're to become mature disciples of Jesus. But being mature disciples of Jesus is not separate from being children of God. The two are held together. But how do we begin to hold these together? Well, if you didn't catch it before when I accidentally showed it to you, here is a greeting card that you can buy in any of the card shops in Byers Road and around. 
some old women playing hopscotch, and it says, growing old is inevitable, growing up is optional. Not quite the right thing, but there is something about the inevitability that we grow older. But if we lose the inner child, then we lose something very special. And the idea of elderly women playing hopscotch or elderly men playing football in the park or whatever it might be is a fantastic image of the childlike qualities that survive. Inside each one of us, that little child still exists with their hopes and the dreams and the certainties that we once had before life pushed them down, before the practicalities and disappointments made us begin to give up hope, begin to give up dreaming, begin to give up trying. As we ponder Isaiah's image of the little child as the one who illustrates the kingdom for which we pray, then maybe this prayer come poem from the worker priest Michelle Coist, or Quast, I'm never quite sure how you're supposed to say it, has something to say to us. It's called, I Like Youngsters. God says, I like youngsters. I want people to be like them. I don't like old people unless they are still children. I want only children in my kingdom. This has been decreed from the beginning of time. Youngsters, twisted, humped, Wrinkled, white-bearded, all kinds of youngsters, but youngsters. And there is no changing it. It has been decided. There is room for no one else. I like little children because my likeness has not yet been dulled in them. They've not botched my likeness. They are new, pure, without a blot, without a smear. So, When I gently lean over them, I recognize myself in them. I like them because they are still growing. They are still improving. They're on the road. They're on their way. But with grown-ups, there's nothing to expect anymore. They will no longer grow, no longer improve. They've come to a full stop. It is disastrous. Grown-ups think they have arrived. I like youngsters because they're still struggling, because they're still sinning. Not because of the sin, if you understand me, but because they know that they sin, and they say so, and they try not to sin anymore. But I don't like grown-ups. They never harm anyone. They have nothing to reproach themselves for. I can't forgive them. I have nothing to forgive. It is a pity. It is indeed a pity because it isn't true. Above all, I like youngsters because of the look in their eyes. In their eyes, I can read their age. In my heaven, there will be only five-year-old eyes. For I know know of nothing more beautiful than the pure eyes of a child. It's not surprising, for I live in children, and it is I who look out through their eyes. 
When pure eyes meet yours, it is I who smile at you through the flesh. But on the other hand, I know of nothing sadder than lifeless eyes in the face of a child. The windows are empty. Sorry, the windows are open, but the house is empty. Two eyes are there, but no light. And saddened, I stand at the door and wait in the cold and knock. I'm eager to get in. But the child is alone. He fattens. He hardens. He dries up. He gets old. Poor old fellow. Alleluia, alleluia. Open up, you little old men and little old women. It is I, your God, the eternal, risen from the dead, coming to bring back to life the child in you. Hurry. Now is the time. I'm ready to give you again the beautiful face of a child, the beautiful eyes of a child. For I love youngsters, and I want everyone to be like them. The lion shall lie down with the lamb, and a little child shall lead them. Let us come before our Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord, in a week when we have seen and heard of the passing of a figure that the media has called a secular saint, we become very mindful that what he taught, forgiveness and reconciliation, are the very things that you taught. And that the forgiveness and the reconciliation are the virtues that in your day were radical, in your day were considered unworthy, but were the virtues that overturned the world that you came into and a world that has been coming to terms with their radical nature ever since. So we pray, in light of a great figure whose passing reminds us of the power of forgiveness, we pray that you would teach us that forgiveness in areas of the world that remain unforgiving and unreconciling. We think not only of the South Africa that Nelson Mandela has left behind, but we think of other deeply fraught and historically contentious regions, Israel and Palestine. The ongoing strife in Syria in Afghanistan, in Iraq. The places that have come to some version of reconciliation but still fester 
under the surface with unforgiveness, whether that be in the American context of black versus white, in the Irish context of Protestant versus Catholic, or the numerous other places around the globe where tribal factions and sectarianism continue to rend people apart. We pray that the forgiveness and the reconciliation that has been evidenced in one man has been taught by you would continue to make its presence known in all these regions. We also thank you for a life that shows us again your power of healing and redemption whereby the incarceration of 27 years leads to a humility, leads to a different perception, leads to an inspiration. And so we now bring before you our own various incarcerations, whether they be physical, psychological, or spiritual. And we ask that in the depths and darkness of these periods, you bring us to a hope, an inspiration, and indeed a reconciliation so that we might emerge and walk our own long miles to some sense of newness and hope. As the world continues to mourn, so too we mourn, not just for the loss of one man, but for the many losses that we experience continually. You know, Lord, the losses that each of us carry. You know the local losses, those that we are still mourning in relation to the Clutha bar accident. But you also know the losses within our own heart. And we pause right now and bring before you our own particular mourning in whatever way we might want to bring that to you. And Lord, you have taught us again this week of hope. The media has shown us pictures where children of different skin colors in South Africa now play side by side. The media itself has talked of hope as it focuses on the innocent wisdom of children learning to be reconciled with each other. Lord, we know that these very children are our future leaders, whether in places like South Africa or wherever political dissension and strife exists throughout the world. So we pray for our children. We pray for our future leaders. We pray that the forgiveness that you taught will be at at the heart of their own thinking, their own policies, their own leadership. That the radical nature that you brought to the world in forgiving becomes not just a one-off example of a rare individual, but a gesture that is repeated throughout 
the world. We thank you for our children, even the children of our very congregation. And we pray that we can continue to instill in them the sense of hope and the sense of leadership that will be required of us in the future. Lord, we are grateful for the people that you bring into our lives. But we are most grateful for bringing yourself into our life. And in a period of Advent that we now celebrate and the coming of the child that became the leader, that became the radical, that became the reconciler, we now pray those words that you taught to us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. And so may the childlike Christ bless us with creativity and energy to continue the journey of Advent of discipleship through this Advent season and beyond. <laughs>